Welcome to the Virgin Active Minds podcast by Virgin Active, where we dive deep into conversations with the best and the brightest minds in the health and well-being world. If you've got questions about health, exercise, or any dimension of well-being, we've got the answers one expert at a time. I'm Mark Cito, your host, because I love all things well-being, from exercise, work, relationships, and going deep inside our minds. I'm here to explore it all with you. This is what they came for. Anxiety, something we are probably all far too familiar with, but have you considered our quest for getting rid of it only serves to amplify it? In this episode, I speak to Dr. Jody Richardson. Jody is an anxiety and well-being speaker, best-selling author and educator, podcast host, and has worked with the likes of the AIS, the ABC, The Morning Show, Studio 10, Sunrise, The Age and the list goes on. She has also been living with anxiety since she was four years old. So join us as we discuss all things anxiety and why the goal isn't to eliminate anxiety, but to dial it down instead. Enjoy. Dr. Jodie Richardson, welcome to Virgin Active Minds podcast. How are you? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me, Mark. I've been really looking forward to chatting with you today. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, You know, such an important and quite a pertinent topic for us today to be talking about anxiety. Um, I think it's something that, you know, it's a term that we hear all the time now. Um, I'm not sure that we all have the knowledge, understanding, tools on how to look at anxiety, deal with it. Um, And that's what I'm excited to get into with you today. Um, So could we start with a bit of a synopsis on who you are? um, What brought you to this point? Why is anxiety your thing? And that, yeah, I think that's a really good start. Yeah, for sure. Anxiety has been my thing since I was a, a little girl and I didn't become diagnosed with an anxiety disorder until I was in my 20s. And that was about the time that Beyond Blue was getting up and running and starting to really educate the community. And so I left my teaching work to go and work for Beyond Blue because I was really becoming passionate about learning more about mental health and learning more about how we can reduce the stigma in the community and educate people around their own mental health. I had anxiety and depression and I didn't I'd never really heard of anxiety or depression before and I'd lived with it for such a long time. And so, yeah, so that really led me on my journey. I went, I returned to university. Uh, I ended up doing an honours degree and a PhD. My PhD is in physiology and what's so interesting about anxiety is it's, it's the sensations that come with anxiety are physiological. It's a physiological response, even though, you know, we see a psychologist when we are anxious because we, you know, so much of what we think impacts how we feel and what we do. So that's, you know, a little, a little brief sort of snippet of, of my journey that's brought me to where I am. You know, it's one of those things that I've followed my nose in, in terms of doing what really feels fulfilling. And I am professionally and personally dedicated to empowering people with knowledge and understanding and strategies and really showing people that you can have anxiety, you can have anxiety for your whole life and you can still live a really rich and full life. So that's that's me. That's me in a in a nutshell. Thank you for sharing that. 
Um, and one question we like to ask all of our guests uh, right at the start, what gets you out of bed in the morning? <laughs> My alarm? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, look, I, I'm just, I, I'm really passionate about my work. I work for myself. I have a family. I'm married with two children and a border collie and a rooster, as you heard before, <laughs> and a few chickens. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really, I love my work. It's not really work. It's, it's something that I'm highly motivated to do. I'm excited every day when I get to, you know, drop the kids at school. Thankfully I can drop them at school now and, you know, head back home to either work on a presentation or my own podcast or I've, I've written two books. I should have mentioned that. Um, starting to think now about what the next book might be. The first two books are anxious kids and anxious mums. Um, something else that really gets me moving is exercise. It's a huge part of my life and three mornings a week I will, that's the first thing I'll do after the school drop off and then I head home and get stuck back into work. Nice. What do you do for exercise? Oh, CrossFit. Oh, lovely. Is, yeah. Yeah. Three mornings a week CrossFit and I've recently made a really tough decision. I've been I've been training in martial arts in the martial art of karate for nearly seven years. Wow! And achieved a really high level, uh, first dan, which is the step beyond black belt. And I've recently made a really hard decision to put a pause on that because I things things are different for me now compared to when I started, and there's there's a lot more that's time that I'm investing in in my own work and in the family and karate it's it's incredible and I'll always have that martial arts mindset uh, but I needed to have some more leisure in my free time uh, karate is it's a lot of work there's a lot to remember you mm. know and so so yeah basketball I've just joined a basketball team and I'm a netballer from way back so it's um it's lots of fun new group of people and uh, new skills and uh, lots of laughs. So yeah, that's what that's how I keep fit. Wow, fantastic! Karate, CrossFit, basketball, netball—you're into it all. That's amazing. I am. Yeah, I love sport. Very cool. <laughs> um, well, let's dive in. Uh, I guess the first place you've just mentioned, um, which already got my mind thinking. You just mentioned that it is a anxiety is a, a physiological response. Um, so it's not just in our heads that we experience anxiety already in my mind. I'm like, well, yeah, of course, you know, like I felt it in my stomach a lot, you know, can you tell us what anxiety is? Like, let's start at the very start. What is it? Yes. It's the brain and the body's response in anticipation of a threat. So I'll give you a quick example. And this is this is a, this is a story of my, when I was a child. I'd walk to the local milk bar with my brother. We'd get oh goodness knows thirty cents in our pocket or something, which is you know like the excitement of the week was walking to the local milk bar after school. We'd cut through a vacant block of land, and on one afternoon, we both got swooped by magpies, and that initiates the fear response because you're reacting to a you know for one of a, a better expression a clear and present danger. <laughs> However, the next time I was going, the next week when we were going to the milk bar together, what I experienced was anxiety because I was anticipating that threat. And so that's the that's a really great way to differentiate between fear and anxiety. And so whether we whether the threat is a genuine threat that we might hear footsteps following us when we're walking and we're alone. Uh, or whether or not it's a perceived threat or something we imagine, 
the body and the brain react exactly the same way. And that's why we can think of a situation, you could fast forward in your mind to the big presentation that you have to do in your workplace or you have a karate, you know, grading or something that that is really important. You can fast forward in your mind to that and your brain and body will react as if it's happening in the here and now. Right. I guess so there is a evolutionary purpose to it. Like there is a purpose there to prepare us for that fearful moment. Is is would that be right in thinking that? Absolutely. Spot on, Mark. You're exactly right. It is. It's evolutionarily speaking, it I mean, and and in fact, even even now, it's a it's a protective response. It's an adaptive response. And it's there to keep us safe. And we can't get rid of it. And we wouldn't want to, even if we could, because we do we do need that physical reaction, you know, that idea that, you know, when you do feel that sinking feeling in your stomach or you get that nauseous feeling or you your heart rate's racing and you're on high alert, that your part of your brain has detected a threat. And sometimes those threats require us to stay safe and fight or stay safe and flee. We can tend to freeze. It's a freeze response as well. But also there are many, many times and most times in our day or week when we feel anxious, it could be because of a sense of overwhelm or a difficult email we have to send or a, a foot, an inbox that's got hundreds of uh, messages awaiting our response or a test we have to have because we've noticed a, a freckle or something changing you know, on our, on our arms. So it's definitely a protective and adaptive response. And it's what kept our ancestors safe. Hmm. Uh, One of, um, one of my friends who's a psychologist said, we are all descendants of the paranoid people that those who were able to uh, detect and avoid danger lived to reproduce. Hmm. And, you know, we still have that same brain, but we don't live in that same environment. It's our modern day environment that can trigger it for us, for for many of us these days. So I guess in a way it's kind of nice knowing that, you know, it is a protective response, you know, it's kind of our body and brain saying, hey, I'm here to look after you in a way. I guess, you know, it can, we do of course look at anxieties today as purely a negative i get i guess at you know we can to an extent think of anxiety purely as a negative thing um but that's nice when you i guess for me just thinking that it's like well you know my body and brain is just trying to protect me in this moment despite the that fear that i'm anticipating is potentially not life-threatening correct very much so it is a very it, it is a normal human emotion but we do have this connotation around anxiety being something that is air quotes because it's a visual medium, uh, bad, <laughs> negative, and something to get rid of. But attempts to get rid of it only tend to amplify it. So it's really good to reframe it. It's really and it's really good to think when anxiety bubbles up. What am I ve- being invited to do? And is this is this is there a threat? Do I need to retreat? Do I need to stay safe? Or do I need to recognize that I'm anxious and realize why what I'm doing is causing me anxiety probably because I care and it's meaningful and is it a bit of an invitation to take a step forward and bring anxiety along um, with a healthy dose of courage Mm, okay and is stress and anxiety the same thing they they can they can be very much related stress is usually related to something that's pressing in the moment and something that 
that's well understood. It could be a deadline or it could be uh, having having a, a big challenge on your hands that, that you're very aware of how that's that's impacting your physiology and your thinking, that you know what's causing it. Uh, the anxiety is more the anticipation of an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what's good to know about stress is too that there, there are, I mean, there is distress and there is eustress. There is stress that can be, you know, we need a little bit of arousal in our day. There's a really great bell curve that shows us that if we if we don't have any stress or arousal, we might as well be snuggling on the couch watching Netflix because we're not got a lot of motivation and arousal to do anything. Uh, too much, obviously, is it going to be detract distract detract from our uh, performance? Uh, there's a there's a nice middle ground. So yeah, stress can be motivating, but you know, too much stress will will cause us to have a lot of physiological responses and. It not only can lead to anxiety, but it can also have a great bearing on our physical health and our heart health and the like. So, mm, Okay. And on your website, you talk about this calm anxiety continuum. I'm picturing that as a scale, maybe. Could you talk to us a bit more about that? And if it is a scale, um, how do we know where we sit on that scale? Yeah, we move on the the continuum between calm and anxious in any one day. And I I have an anxiety disorder and it's very well managed. And and there are days when I'm like, right, for example, at the moment, you know, I've I've got enough arousal and anxiety for for want of a better word that I'm, you know, feel well prepared and, and switched on and alert to be able to have a really meaningful conversation with you. But there are times when the anxiety really bumps up to that higher end. And, it, you know, our son recently had a, uh, a serious bike accident. And in light of that, he, he lacerated his liver. Mm. And the, so it was his 13. And so today he returns, today's the day he's allowed to return to cricket in a very measured way. So when I start to think about that, I can feel my anxiety levels rising because I'm anticipating what could happen. So I, you know, I use some, you know, a couple of my different strategies to sort of notice that my mind has wandered to that, you know, thank my mind and bring myself back. Not that I, I wasn't thinking about that whilst talking to you, but that's something that would move me up the continuum and we'll continue to do on and off probably over today until he's, he's been back and he's, you know, comes home safe and his dad will be with him and, He'll be fine and it's part of this process, but we move and it can be on, you know, within the day we could we could sort of shift up and down a bit like the bit like the volume button uh on the radio. It can it can dial up and it can dial down depending on what we're thinking about and what's happening. Uh you know, some people sort of sit on average higher. Um other people are pretty unflappable and it takes quite a lot for them for that dial to move. And it, yeah, very dependent on circumstances and and temperament, and I guess your you know your your own, uh, you know where you're at generally with your your own mental health. Mm, okay, and how do we? Well, I guess from my own experience, and I have had bouts of there's a there's the rooster, listeners. If you can hear that, it's um, <laughs> it's Jody's listener in the uh, Jody's rooster in the background. I just love that we can hear farm animals right now. <laughs> um, the I guess from my own experience with anxiety, and 
similarly, you know, before a podcast, I definitely feel my anxiety rise um, quite mm. significantly. You know, we were just talking about it before we started recording, but, you know, I've done, I don't know, 18, I've recorded 18 different sessions, but each time still there's this level of like, I guess, uh, again, you guys can't see, but I'm like kind of gripping my chest and I can feel the beating of my heart and my belly starts to churn. My palms get a bit sweaty and I guess get this tingly sensation kind of a bit everywhere. Um, I mean, are these typical things to, you know, is that the body telling us saying, hey, you know, the there's anticipation here, there's a potential fear or there's a potential threat. Are there any other, are those typical sensations and are there any others that we might need to be aware of? Yes, it's, it, they're, they're hallmark signs of anxiety that you're, you're experiencing and they make so much sense. And this is one of the parts of my world that I love to do is to help people make sense of why it feels that way because Unfortunately, what can happen is when people experience those sensations, if you don't know what's driving them, it can cause more anxiety mm. because you can, why do my hands feel like this? Why is my heart racing? Uh, so when when the part of the brain that detects threat, detects some sort of threat, it instantaneously switches on this fight or flight response and it prepares our body for movement, for action to stay safe. And so the the digestion, for example, is not a is not a, a significant enough process to maintain when our life is in danger. And so digestion is not required temporarily. So blood is shunted from the digestive system to major muscle groups so we can protect ourselves or flee. And that makes us feel sick in the stomach. And little kids will often complain of a really upset sore tummy or uh they have the runs or, you know, just digestion just gets sort of, you know, really affected by anxiety for that reason. And also we can get a lot more acid in our stomach uh, at the same time. When you talk about the tingling, we we have a lot of adrenaline and cortisol that's released into the bloodstream to, you know, which is what gets this process going. And that can cause, you know, a little bit of a tremble sometimes as well or tingling in, in the arms, in particular, in hands, the heart races because the body's attempting to prepare us for fight or flee, which requires intense physical activity. Mm. And so in terms of building oxygen supplies and pumping that oxygen around the body, they're just some of the ways that the body is really preparing. Amazing things happen, like the, the clotting of our blood changes in case we're wounded in this in this fight to the death you know, our blood clotting factors increase so that if we are wounded, we won't bleed out. Our vision becomes laser focused and we can sometimes as a result of it get a few spots in our vision. Mm. Sometimes that's related to other things. And of course, it's worth mentioning that, you know, if you do have symptoms that you don't attribute in any way to anxiety, physical symptoms that you can't explain that that don't haven't been attributed to your anxiety, please, you know, uh, seek seek professional help. But chest pain's another one and sometimes if I've got very severe anxiety I'll get chest pain and I you start then you start to think oh is it my heart and I've anxiously taken myself to the doctor many many times over my life not in the last sort of 10 years or so but because those pains you know they they 
feel like you could be having a heart attack and you don't want to ignore that. But I know now if that would happen, if the circumstances are anxiety provoking, I can recognize the way my body responds. Mm. Um, so yeah, they're just some of the, some of the changes that happen, our breathing changes. And this is something our listeners today will probably be aware of is that when anxiety is building, we can sometimes breathe in a short and shallow way over a period of time. And then we find ourselves sort of gasping for a a big, deep, full breath. Mm. And that can often be a sign of anxiety when you're sort of like, can't feel my lungs. I can't fill them up. I can't get enough oxygen. And so, yeah, so it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating when, when you can put it together and it, it makes complete sense because our body is preparing to uh, undertake life-saving action, whatever that might look like. All right. And is um, an anxiety disorder or severe anxiety, is that, is it a amplification of the symptoms or is it prolonged? you know, or is it, do we feel this all the time or for long periods, or is it just these moments of really intense kind of sensation? All of the above. Right. <laughs> I answer D, all of the above. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's everything that you've just touched on. What we, you know, we, we have anxiety. It's a normal protective, it's a, it's a normal human emotion, like disappointment, frustration, happiness, sadness, joy, contentment. But we do have times in the day where anxiety will rise and anxiety will fall. And that's generally not an issue. It's when it gets stuck and the we, we get sort of into that fight or flight response in an extreme way frequently. And when the anxiety is getting in the way of daily functioning, there some of the things to look out for as to when it might be spilling over from everyday anxiety into a disorder. And like, for example, that, that, rooster out there we are not friends and he makes me anxious and my neighbor said to me he's got your measure Jody because I basically run (laughs) from him which is hilarious if anyone were to be watching but what I used to do we've had a few roosters and you never intend on getting a rooster it just is the luck of the draw sometimes when you get new hens or what you think are hens um and so I really need to go out with a with a broomstick just to sort of hold between us as a safety measure, not to touch him with it, but just to sort of keep my defences up. Um, but we have a, my friend, my daughter's friend has a chicken phobia. Mm. And so whenever she comes here, if the chickens are roaming, it creates enormous anxiety in her, extreme distress. But that doesn't really get in the way of her normal life because you don't tend to come across chickens, mm. you know, that often that it's an issue. Yeah. And so that family don't really need to do any, we put the chickens away. We know if she's coming, the chickens are away. She's safe and comfortable. And I always do try to work a little bit with her when she's here to just, you know, inch a little bit closer to, you know, their pen so that she can start to build uh, some tolerance of that distress. Not, not in a big way, but um, I'd like her to feel more comfortable when she's here, of course. So yeah, it's just about really just, understanding that we can we can all have anxiety for different reasons but when it gets in the way of daily functioning it's extreme it's frequent uh it's really detracting from life that's that's when it would be considered a disorder right and we often hear two terms together depression and anxiety and are they the same 
are they do they always come as a pair um you know or or is it just sometimes a bit um you know are we being a little bit lazy just saying oh you know always lumping them together mm, they're not look they often go hand in hand a lot of people do experience them as comorbidity as it would be called as you know depression and anxiety together is something that is frequently experienced my personal experience was that my un diagnosed anxiety after 20 years really developed I guess my nervous system my well my nervous system when I when I think about the polyvagal theory we have the ventral vagal state which is our green zone our cool calm collected zone where we're engaged and really able to learn and connect with what we're doing with work and with people and with relationships and so on that's where we want to be if we think about it as a bit of a traffic light system, we've got the green zone in the bottom, the yellow zone in the middle is the fight or flight response. Um, and as arousal continues over time, if it gets too high, we can go into what's called dorsal vagal, which is where we can start to shut down and depression can be, you know, depression, mm. withdrawal, numbing, numbing out the, and the like. And that was my experience was that unchecked anxiety over a very long time proceeded into this this state my nervous system proceeded into that state and I ended up with major depressive disorder but upon getting treatment for that and identifying that uh, I had an anxiety disorder that was undiagnosed for so long and starting to get engaging in therapy for that the depression lifted Uh, I moved through that it was very difficult with the help of medication and professional support and it's not since been I mean I had some after both births after both children I experienced postnatal depression because we are at greater risk if we've previously experienced depression but my lifelong issue is my anxiety Mm. Uh, other people will experience both Uh, other people depression is more of a challenge for them and anxiety is the more occasional experience so uh, definitely very like different experiences in that your anxiety is your anticipation of a threat, um, you can be like high arousal and hypervigilance, whereas depressions, when you're depressed, you, you have an overwhelming sense of hopelessness of really just that there's no joy in anything in your life and that, you know, in my case, I got to the point where I would never have you know, done anything, but I, I didn't really care much about waking up each day. I wouldn't have cared if I didn't wake up. And it's really, hopefully that's not triggering to people listening. And if it is, I, I apologize. But I think it's it's really important to be really authentic about how low you can get. And, you know, also to know that tough, really tough times and, and you know, I've experienced, you know, the lowest of lows, you, you can come through and and you can come through with a very, very different perspective on life and, and how you want to live it. And, you know, that was my experience. And much of that's what's brought me to here with you today. Mm, okay. It's, um, it, I just love that rest of <laughs> <laughs> these moments of silence. And, um, yeah, look, I, and I appreciate you sharing your story with us just then. Um, you know, it, it I, we were just chatting before we press record on the podcast about the importance of storytelling and not only mm-hmm. for the person telling the story, which can often be quite a cathartic experience, but 
also for people that are listening, you know, it kind of, mm-hmm. and, and I, I will say, especially coming from a professional like yourself, you know, it's kind of hearing that because sometimes I guess as non-professionals of, uh, uh, of something like anxiety, we can look to those who are professionals in this area and think, oh, they must just be, you know, they've probably never experienced it. They probably have this perfect pictured life and, you know, they must be so calm all the time, you know. But, uh, and I guess in a, in a similar um, way, um, it's the same being a yoga teacher, you know. People think that I'm perfectly calm and never depressed and never anxious and I must just be floating around all day and it's so not the case right like <laughs> yes. it's that's what brought me to yoga was the fact that I have had experiences with depression and anxiety and yoga was a pathway that really not the only path along with other things that have helped me to manage and mm. not overcome, right? Like I haven't overcome any of these. I I feel a bit. I feel more equipped on how to manage things. Um, yes. But it's a forever practice, right? If this is going to be yeah. for the rest of my life. Yes. Yeah, I, I love that you've been able to share that too, because we 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 do t- sometimes make assumptions when we when we learn about somebody's profession, and and you know we we are all human we we it's natural and important that we experience the whole range of human emotions and what you've just touched on is the idea of of our our coping mechanisms how do we we all experience ups and downs in the way that we feel it's completely normal it's when we try to push away difficult and uncomfortable feelings that we can actually make life harder for ourselves so what do we use in our lives and how can we learn to manage so that the emotions can move through us and that we can experience discomfort and distress and painful thoughts and emotions and know that we'll come out the other side but have some really good tools to get us through. Mm. Um, and, you know, that's it. That's a huge part of your toolkit and your very productive coping strategy, which is, you know, a, you know, leading by example, it's it's a beautiful practice and it does use the breath which is very calming to the nervous system and movement is the natural end to the fight or flight system Mm. so there's so much beautiful science around why yoga is so impactful when it comes to anxiety but like you say it doesn't mean that you are overcoming it it means that you've got really healthy ways to manage Mm. and, and to live your life and to enjoy you know that that beautiful aspect of your life but also to manage and have tools to draw on when when you are struggling. Mm. I read somewhere that the average high school kid today has the same level of anxiety as psychiatric patients of the 1950s. Does that sound real to you? And is anxiety, is it getting worse or are we just becoming more aware of these natural responses? Mm. It's it's been a question asked for a long time, and and much of it, it's it's a combination of both, especially in the wake. Well, we're still on the wave of the pandemic, or in mm. the wake. I'm not quite sure. Um, definitely more awareness. Definitely much more awareness. And it's it's interesting looking at the research, the early research around melancholy for depression, and 
you know, the, the, the frayed nerves and, you know, the different expressions from early researchers. And what, what we know, there was a recent global study conducted uh, with thousands and thousands of adolescents. And the conclusion was that depression and anxiety have doubled uh, since the beginning of the pandemic. What we know here in Australia is that from 15 to 18, from that you know, that age bracket uh, among adolescents, that over 70% uh, will will tell us that their mental health is significant. This is significantly worsened mental health, again, as a result of the pandemic. And for the younger age groups, I think it was five to five to 14, over 60% significantly worsened mental health. And so what, but prior to the pandemic, there's lots of literature talking about um, and the anxiety epidemic, even before we had ongoing unprecedented change and uncertainty in our lives. Mm. So there is absolutely more anxiety now. And it's driven by uncertainty. We, we want predictability and control, and we've had none of that. Uh, we've lost the activities. Well, for a long time, we lost the activities or were really reduced in how we could all manage our anxiety levels and our stress levels through our sport, through our connections with others, uh, you know, more so for for people who couldn't access their activities online or just couldn't connect with an online kind of version of what what was being offered. So, yeah, definitely more awareness, but the pandemic has has elevated anxiety levels in a way that we'll learn much more about over the, over the coming months and years. Mm. I mean, I guess it's too hard to say whether we see a drop off of that with things opening up again, right? Like it's kind of, I guess my fear is that it, it I guess I shouldn't say fear. I guess in a way the pandemic has maybe taught more people, potentially even young people by the sounds of it, that at least brought an awareness to mental health, um, which mm. might not have come with the with the pandemic but I guess it's what happens after right and I guess we just don't know what's going to happen as we try and get Mm. back to a new normal yes it's some people are finding it hard to sort of the re-entry phase Mm. reconnecting and and hesitation and anxiety about being in public places with lots of people Uh, we know the Melbourne Cup Day, for example, there are 27 known cases related to the uh, Melbourne Cup Day events. I, I don't know if that's the Cup Day itself or uh, parties that were enjoyed afterwards. And this is a part of the way we're going to be living our lives. In you know, we're I'm playing basketball once a week now against total strangers, mm. and I know I'm fully vaccinated. I don't know the vaccination status. I don't even know if we're we have to all be vaccinated. I haven't had that checked personally. Um, there's a lot of unknowns and understandably a lot of reticence about what to do and can I do the things I used to love to do and can I feel relaxed and comfortable? And then there are the situations whereby there are cases cropping up in workplaces, uh, in schools, and the freedoms that people were beginning to enjoy are once again shut down because they might have to go into quarantine or schools closed and kids are back, you know, remote learning, even if they weren't a a T1 connection. So the, a lot of uncertainty and unpredictability, unpredictability 
remains. Mm. And I think it's really natural and normal for people to be experiencing exhaustion at the moment, hesitation to really re-enter the life as it used to be and to have still a sense of anxiety that sort of hangs around. I think that's all to be really um, normalised at the moment. Mm. Yeah, it's not like we can just flick a switch and, oh, back to normal because it's not normal, right? Like we're still definitely nowhere near normal. No. Um, Another term, um, suffering anxiety. Are we yeah. are we always suffering if anxious? Hmm. Are we always suffering when we're anxious? It can feel very much that way. I think an understanding of uh, not always, probably short answer to that is no, not necessarily. We can we can feel anxious about something that's exciting and meaningful for us. Uh, you know, you might be giving. Well, you would. I was. I was about to use an example of like giving a speech at a wedding. You would definitely suffer through a lot. Of, I know a lot of people that would suffer. I know my husband has suffered through that terrible anxiety. Um, but I guess when we think about there, there are levels. You know, it is a continuum, and so there can be if we can recognize when anxiety is rising, and use strategies that are that are known to help settle the nervous system back down again. Then there's no need. For suffering, it can very much be a mindset too. And when when anxiety comes up because it doesn't feel good, and we we like generally to feel good, that when we we have those emotions coming, it's like oh, I'm feeling anxious, and I just want to get rid of it, and that that can tend to amplify it when when we're not willing to experience how we feel. So I, I think that there that it, it can be suffering all the time for some. It, but there are lots of things that we can do to reduce that and to, just to recognize that it's a part of ourselves. You know, I'll feel a bit anxious about something and I'll just, I've got the skills now to be able to, to I've developed the self-awareness and the strategies to be able to sort of step back and observe and to be able to say to myself, oh, I'm feeling, I'm recognized, I'm feeling anxious and put a couple of strategies into place and know that we'll, I'm feeling anxious because what I'm about to do is important and the anxiety just has to come along for the ride. And so I'm not really labeling it as being difficult or awful. I'm just recognizing it for what it is and just saying it's just it's it's just anxiety, which I find myself saying, and my therapist used to say that to me. He would say, just remember, Jody, it's it's only anxiety. And I'll be I'll be thinking, you're kidding. In, in, you know, I wouldn't say that, but I would think, what? Why is, it's only anxiety. Don't you know how this feels? And of course he did more than most. And I find that now when we can reframe it as, oh, my brain's detected a threat. I know I've been here before. I know what to do. Um, but it can become very, very painful and distressing when it winds up and gets to the point where we just literally can't um, emotionally regulate mm-hmm. at all. And, uh, and then it does settle down eventually, but that, that can be pretty distressing. Mm, of course. I really like that idea of reframing, um, reframing, renaming even, you know, mm-hmm. only anxiety. Um, and I guess mm-hmm. having the trust that it is going to pass, you know, that it is a, you know, it's here. My body's doing something to, it's trying to protect me. I'm grateful for that. Um, you know, what tool am I going to use now? to to move through yes 
Yes. Um, we've spoken a little bit about the body, of course, and that it is a physiological response. Um, is there ongoing, is there potential ongoing physical issues like gut problems or um, I guess even um, fatigue issues or anything else that could be a potential issue with ongoing severe anxiety? Mm, definitely fatigue. If you think about <clears throat> when when we're anxious, our body's being powered up to, I heard a, a, one of my podcast guests, she had a great metaphor the other day, which I'd not heard before. And she asked me if we had an old school mower, you know, the ones where you kind of have to sort of prime with a little bit of, oh, I don't know what you prime it with, a little bit of petrol, I suppose. And then, then you pull the ripcord and she likened anxiety to priming the body, but never pulling the ripcord. Mm. We're, we're primed. We've got, we're, we're powered up in the way that a racing car would be, uh, just to change metaphors altogether, but powered up, but no place to go so that, you know, engines revving, we don't do anything. And so that, that can be exhausting. The hypervigilance about uh, always, the always on, switched on nervous system, you know, when we're in that fight or flight response. Because it, what it does, one of the other physiological changes that occurs is that we, we have glucose released into the bloodstream because glucose powers the cell to produce energy. And then we, uh, so the mitochondria, mitochondria powers the cell, but the glucose is broken down to produce energy. And in in doing that, we've we've got all this glucose and we're we're ready to roll, but we don't do anything. It, it's really it's extremely fatiguing for the body, um, being full of adrenaline and full of cortisol, you know, on and off for for much of the day and the week and the month or or much of your life. It's very tiring. Um, the other aspect to it that you asked about was with relation to the gut. Mm. And yeah, absolutely. And it's it's very common <clears throat> for gut issues to be linked back to anxiety. The the reason a really lovely full belly breath uh, makes a difference for us is because the vagus nerve, which runs from the brain past the heart and ends in the gut, is activated when we when we do a lovely full belly breath. Uh, the the gut has uh, a microbiome that can affect our mental health. There's a lot, there's, there are more messages sort of going from the gut to the brain than there are going from the brain to the gut. So the microbiome in the gut determ has a, has a strong impact on our mental health and fascinating research. And it's, I hope nobody's eating while they're um, listening to this episode, but there was, there was fecal, fecal transplant evidence. So where a, uh, uh, subject or a, a person might have there was there was one case where this woman had extraordinarily challenging mental health uh untreatable mental health challenges I'm sorry I can't recall the exact I haven't looked at this research in a little while and her husband and she was she was so happened to be overweight and her husband had no history of mental illness and was a very lean fellow and over a period of time they did a fecal transplant uh and they transferred from his feces into her digestive system, into her gut. And her she was relieved of her ongoing mental illness and lost an enormous amount of weight, all because of the change in the microbiome mm. or the microbiota of her gut. It is extraordinary the impact it can have. A lot of people who have ongoing 
stress problems and anxiety problems can have a lot of irritable bowel and gut problems. And last thing I wanted to add to that is that the bulk of our serotonin is produced in the gut, not the brain, as many would think. And so when our gut isn't functioning optimally, we're not producing an optimal amount of serotonin, uh, that can obviously play havoc with our mental health as well. Right. So very intertwined, right? Like there's all these, I mean, even to think about, well, you know, of course, how do I look after my gut then? You know, because it's like Mm. my anxiety might be affecting my gut, potentially my microbiome is affecting my anxiety. So it's, yeah, I guess it's this whole picture health that we need to be looking at, even Mm. if all we feel like we are potentially suffering with this anxiety it's still an all over well let's look at everything in a way yes yeah. yes that's why uh, it it pays to learn about it and to to really tune into how it impacts you as a person mm. because when my anxiety rises it's it really mainly affects my breathing but as a child it affect affected my digestion and my tummy and i had a sick tummy i I had my anxiety was inherited. I inherited the genes for it. I had that predisposition, but it was triggered in prep. And the circumstances in my prep double class with 53 preps was very stressful. And I had a sick tummy, and that was what I would say to my mum. But of course, I didn't look sick. Mm. And I didn't have a fever and I didn't have a rash. And off to school I went, thank goodness, or I might have ended up on a different pathway if I had have not continued to get myself to school each day. But it, it's really important to understand how anxiety impacts you as a person or somebody that you love. There, there is in the research we we learn that um, parents have been showing up at the ED departments of hospitals with children with uh, symptoms that were very distressing and and very worrying, only to be diagnosed as anxiety once the the child's been assessed and seen to and. It's sometimes, you know, it's the unknown when you don't know and your child's got headaches and they're trembling and they're they're in pain, they've got chest pains. Of course, that's very frightening. It's it's awful. So knowing yourself, knowing what what your anxiety looks like and also knowing what impacts it. I mean, I, I don't drink a lot of coffee. I love a coffee in the morning. I have a weak coffee in the morning. But for a long, long time, I gave up coffee just to drink matcha latte because the coffee was really amplifying my anxiety. Mm. So I took a break just out of curiosity and I'm like, oh, this makes a difference. I'm going to stick with this. And then when I returned to coffee, it's just out of the enjoyment of a half a cup of, you know, a weak latte in the morning. And that's, I know that that's good for me. Uh, That's enough. But for some people, no problem. They could have five coffees in a day Mm. and not feel anxious, not be affected, but the caffeine causes the release of cortisol. So if we are anxious, that's possibly going to be an impact, have an impact on how we feel. Mm. So, but you might experience coffee differently to the way I experience it. It's just learning about ourselves and knowing, and then knowing what makes it worse. And then also, of course, important to know what we can do to dial it back. Mm. I experience coffee the same way you do. (laughs) And I I have given up coffee in times of challenging mental health moments. I've given up coffee a couple of times for years. Um, I am drinking coffee now, um, but I know for sure that it, it affects my anxiety levels in not in a good way. Um, so there are still days, 
especially on weekends where I don't have coffee. Like I make it a, yes. it's almost a bit of a ritual, a non-coffee day. Um, yes. And yeah, it, it, definitely, it yeah. definitely has an effect. Mind you, Mark, there are some people who will, the thought of not having coffee will send their anxiety <laughs> skyrocketing. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You mentioned just then, that for you, you inherited a gene. And that was going to be my next question. Is anxiety hereditary and, um, or, or, and, or can we learn it? Could it be environmental? Is it something, you know, we learn from our parents? Mm. It, it's, there is a, an hereditary component, uh, to, to memory, 30 to 50% of anxiety is heritable. And so that means 30 to 50% of us who have anxiety have uh, inherited a gene. And then it's important to know with genes that just because we inherit a gene doesn't necessarily mean that gene will be activated, will be switched on, if you like, uh, or expressed, as we say. And in the same way, a really great sort of comparison is the idea of strength training. Like I love strength training, but... I, my my muscle mass will not grow, even though I have all the genes for it, unless I lift weights. Uh, and so, you know, that that's the way we activate genes is to, you know, do something in, in, about the environment to sort of switch them on. Um, yeah, so, yes, I definitely inherited it. I have a, a my grandfather, so I've, I've learned over, you know, recent years, um, my grandfather had OCD. I've had, um, my mum has anxiety. She's very open about that. I have anxiety. There's other other members of extended family who've had their own challenges as well. And it's, um, but just because you have inherited the predisposition for it doesn't necessarily mean it'll be, it'll be triggered. But for other people who haven't got that genetic sort of predisposition, they, you know, the pandemic for, for some has, you know, caused anxiety in, in, in people that have, have not ever experienced it before. And so it doesn't have to be inherited, uh, but certainly uh, in my case, that, that's, that's exactly what's happened. And I've, I've, I've experienced uh, different types of anxiety at different levels at different stages in my life. And I've had a lot of struggles with, I had a lot of struggles with OCD as a child and, and through sort of teenage years and as a new parent as well, uh, but I'm medicated for my anxiety. And whilst OCD wasn't a really, it wasn't an issue that really got in the way of daily functioning, it was very difficult to live with, um, you know, at the times that it really flared up. And But since taking medication, which I chose not to do for a long, long time, probably too long, um, I don't have... In, intrusive, I have I have intrusive thoughts, but I can use the skills I've learned since taking medication to actually manage them. Right, and that that really speaks to the idea that when we are medicated for anxiety, um, it's really important to do that in conjunction with therapy, so that you can adopt all of the skills and strategies that you need to be able to then manage your anxiety. It doesn't eliminate it. Mm. It's not about getting rid of it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Which both of those things you just spoke of you just spoke about actually speak to my next two questions. <laughs> I have and... not got the, any questions in front of me. So. <laughs> we are just, yeah, telepathically, we are on the exact same page, literally on the exact same page. And uh, 
I guess the question was, you know, is anxiety, is it to be managed or do we beat it? Uh, and what role does medication play in that? Mm. We, I, look, there are, there are instances where people will have a discrete experience of chronic anxiety that they may overcome. That, that can happen. The same can happen with depression. Generally speaking, though, if you struggle with anxiety and it, it has become something that impacts your daily functioning, it's usually something we manage. It's not about beating it. And I'd, I'd go as far as to say that if, if somebody promises to free you from it or rid you of it, I would just go in with open eyes and ask the questions because we, we actually don't want to get rid of it. We, we do need it. We need it. It tells us when we're doing something important. Uh, tells us when we could be unsafe and uh, and it can be really motivating nothing like a deadline and not quite enough time to you know for the anxiety to prompt you to get your butt back on the chair and get the work done so uh, when it comes to I talk about dialing it back and you know I, I know some people listening will be sort of more down the lower end of the anxiety continuum other people listening you might be way up the top end and it's really, you know, debilitating for you. And I'm hoping that if that's the case, you've got some really great professional help in your life. And if you don't, I'd really recommend seeking that help. But really what it, what it's about is is first and foremost, understanding what's happening, that the, the brain has an alarm system, a bit like our smoke alarm. We want our smoke alarm to go off when our lives are in danger when there's a, th- a fire that threatens our safety, not when we burn the toast. And people like me have an alarm that's bigger and more sensitive uh, than other people who don't have anxiety as a sort of part of their life ongoing. Um, but there are things we can do to sort of shrink the alarm system in the brain and to desensitize it and to build our ability to regulate our emotions and to settle the physical symptoms. So I talk about, you know, I'll like, you know, I, I've been very open on, on my own podcast that the idea that I became really anxious about doing it and I can talk the leg off a chair and I am used to being in front of people and I'm really open about my own experiences and I, I love learning and bringing that to, but my goodness, the podcast was about six months late. No, not that I'd announced it. I had told one friend and he very publicly called me out on it. <laughs> um, but I was very anxious. I was very anxious and, and it can get in the way. So, but what I said to myself and what I knew was I'm not letting this stop me. My anxiety can come along for the ride in the back seat. Thank you very much. I'm in the driver's seat and I might not be driving at hundred. I might only be at 50 at the moment because you're holding me back but I'm going to keep moving forward. So it's a philosophy I'd really love to invite other people to adopt. If you try to sort of get rid of it and wait your whole life to do what really matters to you, waiting for anxiety to go, you will likely wait for the rest of your life. I had the potential of doing that myself. And if we can go, you know what, anxiety, I'd rather you weren't around, you know, but jump in the car, get in the back seat and um, you, if, if I'm going to do this. And if you have to come, we'll see it. Mm. <laughs> um, but, and dialing it back. So it's just like the radio in the background. We're not turning it off. We're not trying to get rid of it, but it's not interfering with what we want to do. It's just sort of humming along behind us. Mm. Okay. Oh, medication you asked. I'm sorry. 
I, the, the third and final part to your question, uh, in terms of medication, um, medication certainly has its role with anxiety. Uh, when it comes to my, my particular choice was to, I guess, the achiever in me really wanted and who didn't really understand anxiety well for a long time, I really thought I could, I, I did believe for a long time I could overcome it just purely by being very proactive about my exercise and about going to therapy and um, eating well and looking after myself. And it was interesting because I, I share this because I wonder if other people have thought the same and other people have said to me that they have. I at that time thought I was failing by taking medication, whereas it's not a failure in no way, shape or form is it a failure when the biochemistry in the brain needs help to be more stable? Um, and it was, I'd, we'd had both children and I'd refused to be on anything whilst I was pregnant and breastfeeding. And then when it started, it was interesting, when it started to really get in the way of my enjoyment of being a mum and, and being the parent I really wanted to be, Peter said to me, would you reconsider and he, he's been the most amazing amazing support uh he's learned so much we both have along this journey um he said would you consider would you reconsider he just put the invitation out there would you reconsider I think I think it'd make it easier for you to to be the parent you want to be and and my anxiety was impacting on the whole family by this stage because it, it really has a, a way of doing that, of affecting other people around you. And um, when you live with someone with anxiety, it's it's not just confined to that person's experience. Mm. And it was a new perspective for the first time. I thought, I can do this for my kids and, and for Pete's sake, because for Pete's sake, how's that for a saying? <laughs> for Pete's sake. Because, you know, we'd been together, we've, we'd been married nearly 20 years. We'd, we've been together about 24 and... Uh, He'd, he'd seen enough and done enough in, in terms of supporting me and seeing how hard I'd tried in every other way. And at that stage, I hadn't developed all the skills I needed. So I, I decided to go on the medication and I've never looked back. And I take it daily. It's enabled me, this has been for a long time now, to really, and I did more training in, a, in the behavioural science of acceptance and commitment therapy and uh, applied those skills to myself first and foremost, and now I share them. And it's it was absolutely life changing. And the reason it makes a difference is the medication that I'm on is an SSRI, which stands for a Selective Serotonin Reuptake Inhibitor. And what that means is it really prevents your body from breaking down your own natural serotonin uh, as quickly as it would otherwise. So your own natural serotonin remains available to you in a more consistent way. So um, yeah, so that's that's kind of my take. It's a very personal decision, and it's something that can be done in conjunction with your GP or a psychiatrist. Uh, and you know, it's worked. It's it's worked for me. I still get anxious. I still I don't I haven't got ridden my rid of my anxiety. But when my anxiety shows, and I can see it coming, and I can put my tools into place to bring it back down and it's no longer in the way of you know what I want to do uh, in my personal life and my professional life. Mm. 
again, thank you so much for sharing that um, personal story, Jody. And and I, I must agree with you um, that I think there is a bit of stigma around taking medication. You know, um, I think that the it, like you said, I think sometimes people can feel like they've failed something. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's really important that you know the people like you are telling their story and and really sharing that you know this is um this is can be an important tool for you to be able to use your other tools you know um mm. uh and it's also a nice um uh we also got to remember that it's not also it's not the only tool you know like there is yes. there is there's many things um that we can be using in conjunction um mm. to to help us um to, uh, to manage, live with um, anxiety, and make sure they're sitting in the back seat because you are the you are the driver, and you're going to choose the radio channel for sure. Correct, correct, exactly. Um, which does bring me to to tools. Um, what are some of the tools that you would highly recommend? Mm. I love, I love, 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 and I've used this uh, for a long time. Uh, it's a strategy called Dropping Anchor. It comes from the work of Dr. Russ Harris. Uh, Russ wrote The Happiness, Retra- the, the Happiness Trap. Mm-hmm. He's a Melbourne-based and a, a world leader in acceptance and commitment therapy. Dropping Anchor is a strategy that uh, if, if we think about what we can and can't control, we can't control the storm around us, whatever that storm may be, we can calm ourselves in the middle of the storm. We can only really control our own actions. And the idea of dropping anchor, I love to sort of open with that that metaphor because it creates a really beautiful imagery, I think, for people to think about sort of your dropping anchor in the storm. And the way we do this is we, we start by uh, pushing our feet into the floor as if we're dropping anchor. And it's, a, it's called a grounding strategy. It, it's not a distraction. Uh, Russ shares a really great acronym, uh, which is ACE, A-C-E. Um, so we, when we're dropping anchor, we start by drop, put, putting our, pushing our feet into the floor and thinking about how our body feels, thinking about the weight of our arms by our sides if we're standing or thinking about the connection between our bottom and our legs with the chair uh, while we're sitting, thinking about what your hair might feel like on your neck or... Uh, just something about your clothing that you're tuning into. So you're really getting out of your head and into your body, which is a fundamental anxiety management strategy. And we can also add a couple of lovely deep breaths, uh, real belly breaths to activate the vagus nerve. And and the acronym that we can apply in this situation is A, for acknowledge that you're having difficult thoughts and feelings. It's not, again, it's not a distraction technique. We're acknowledging that this is a painful time I'm worried I'm sad I'm upset I'm let down I'm frustrated I'm confused whatever um C is for come into your body so acknowledge how you think and feel come into your body in whatever way you like I really pressing my feet into the floor is my first step with my dropping anchor and sometimes that's all I need and then E is for engage engage in re-engage in, in what you were doing or or engage in something that's meaningful to you. So you might it might be a brief 
It might be a brief uh, experience dropping anchor. You might go through the acknowledge the feelings come into your body, acknowledge your feelings come into your body. You might repeat that part of the process before engaging because what's important is taking action and anxiety can put quite a stop sign in front of us. Uh, We want to avoid when we feel anxious, we don't like it and we want to stop feeling anxious. So we'll stop doing whatever it was. So we won't go for the job interview or we won't start the podcast or we won't invite that person who might say no to being a guest or we, you know, we might uh, not go to that social event because we have social anxiety and we're worried about embarrassing ourselves. So that avoidance is to stop feeling the feelings, whereas this is a strategy that helps you to acknowledge and experience, notice that it's uncomfortable, show yourself some compassion even. You could put your hand on your heart and and notice that it's a time of suffering and that it's painful. Come into your body, but then ultimately re-engage in life, do something that's meaningful to you. And it could be it could be your your dog is just hanging for a cuddle. Your rooster needs to help a little bit of help finding his flock, which I think was a problem before. I think he's found the girls. <laughs> he stopped crowing. Um, it could be that you're working on something meaningful for work or you are wanting to connect with someone. Whatever it is, the E is for engage. Do something and keep moving forward. Don't wait for the anxiety to go. Settle it. Drop your anchor. And then, you know, reconnect with life so that you can keep living. Mm. That's a really beautiful acronym. I love that, ACE. Um, mm. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to sell yoga here, but, but I will. <laughs> um, you know, that's a, that's a big part of what we do, right? The acknowledgement yes. of what is here and now. Um, come into your body, of course. Um, mm. And you engage with the practice. But, you know, it doesn't have to be yoga also. It could be you know, you could be doing this while doing some other form of exercise or going for a yes. walk or, you know, I guess it could be, it's uh, that acronym could really be applied in many different situations or circumstances. Mm, yeah. It really can. And we've, through, throughout our conversation, we, we've touched in, on, on so many different tools and, and yoga, 100%, there's, yoga's beautiful for anyone with anxiety. I'd so encourage you if you haven't tried yoga for your anxiety to to find a practice that is the right fit for you. And Mark, you would you would be able to speak to that with authority. Um that's not my it's not my area of expertise. I probably really you look at my life with karate and basketball and CrossFit, I really probably should <laughs> be doing some yoga. Um but you know, exercise is the natural end to the fight or flight response. So high intensity exercise briefly can help to shift that response in the moment. Some star jumps, some running on the spot, some skipping. Uh, a regular mindfulness practice can help to bring the the mind away from future thinking and catastrophic thinking, which tends to and worry that goes hand in hand with anxiety. Um, the breath uh, helps to show the brain that we are safe. The uh, the deep belly breathing with a focus on the exhale. Uh, lengthening the exhale when you're breathing and slowing the breathing rate. Uh, all of these are powerful strategies that help the body to reset and bring the what we call the parasympathetic nervous system back uh, running the show instead of the sympathetic nervous system, which is that fight or flight response. So uh, it's about, you don't have to do all of them at once, but 
finding what works for you and often it is a few deep breaths. Uh, it could be the dropping anchor, just getting out of your head and into your body. That's a huge takeaway that I share when I'm speaking with parents or at schools with staff or professionals is get out of your head and into your body. It's that it's really about bringing your attention back to what's happening in the here and now, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a a beautiful aspect of yoga as well. So um, you can do that in lots of ways and we we usually do it through our senses. So it could be music. It could Mm. be a mug of, you know, sticky chai or uh, coffee, dare I say, or it could be take your shoes off and walk on the grass, pat Mm -hmm. your dog, go touch a tree. Somebody said that to me the other day. I had a big, big day. I was delivering a full day of professional development online. And she said, just make sure you just get outside and go and touch a tree during the day. <laughs> like, um, you know, so yeah, nature's, you know, we could spend a whole hour talking about nature and the importance of nature and how that calms our nervous system and settles our stress responses. Uh, even looking at a picture of nature, indoor plants, as long as you look after them and they are not weary and weeping and longing for a drink. Um you know, anything like that can can really help us to start to settle our system and mm. move through the anxiety. For sure. And I was going to ask you about nature because, uh, I mean, that's a huge part of what I do. And it's been uh, up there with with yoga and running. Uh, and i got to say mm. as well, guys, you know, of course, I am here talking about yoga quite often. But, you know, uh, sometimes for in those anxious moments for me it's putting on my joggers and running it out you know like sometimes Mm. that is just what I can feel it like that is just what my body needs you know trying to put myself on a mat in those moments um you know it it, it, sometimes that even feels a bit constricted it's like you know I've got just this yoga mat space but getting outside and going for a run has sometimes as important as it is to sometimes sit and and meditate or do yoga. Um, Mm. But getting outside, um, and I've I've really felt that this lockdown being stuck in in Alexandria during lockdown uh, was probably one of my most anxious moments, this second lockdown actually, Um, and not being able to get out into the bush. Um, And I went for a bushwalk last weekend and it's just... It's incredible hmm. how much it settles me, you know, just being amongst trees, looking to the horizon. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, and I know it's not the easiest tool to just go and do that, you know, in the middle, mm. in the middle of your work week on before, before a big meeting. Um, but I like what you just said about maybe just get outside and touch a tree, you know, like be a tree, a literal tree hugger just, <laughs> just for yeah. a moment, you know, look up to the sky or, look to the horizon or something Um, yes it's powerful uh the japanese call it shrinrin yoku and it's forest bathing and Mm. there's so much beautiful research around the the calmative effects of nature and there's a really great study i'll share quickly that was conducted in a hospital setting where patients with a view to a group of trees outside their hospital room were compared with uh, patients recovering from similar surgeries who didn't really have anything to look at. And the patients, or just just a brick wall, basically through the window, the window looked onto a brick wall. And the patients with the nature view uh, experienced less pain and were discharged a full 24 hours sooner than their brick wall 
uh, watching counterparts. And we we know the no- there are knock-on effects of adding more trees to a city block in terms of happiness. More happiness can be gained by having more trees than a $10,000 pay rise. There's mm-hmm. incredible research on the benefits of being in nature and so and and genuinely genuinely images of nature indoor plants pictures of something that's you know a, a beautiful picture of nature of whatever your your interests are whether it's a waterfall or a, a forest or plants um, all can render uh, an effect in reducing stress and nature sounds if you are feeling stressed about a meeting then uh, find yourself a lovely brief meditation or or some nature sounds through YouTube even. You don't even have to have the vision on. Uh, that can that can really help settle us as well. So it's um yeah, it's a very powerful tool in our toolkit and uh, one which we can a- access in different ways. Uh, but yeah, nothing like getting outside into the real thing. Yeah, and uh, professional help is obviously a tool as well. Um, when do you think it's the right time to seek professional help? Mm. I usually answer this question by saying, if you're wondering if you should seek professional help, that's probably the best, the first time to sort of reach out, definitely. Um, we, we know that anxiety is normal. It comes and goes. Uh, it's a problem when it gets stuck and it gets in the way of daily functioning. If if there's anxiety that's hanging around for no reason, we often know why we're anxious. We often, you know, I was terribly anxious leading up to that full day online presentation. I was having all sorts of intrusive thoughts about uh, the day and how it how it might unfold because I've not done it before. It was new. I've done lots of full day professional development, just not online. It was important to me to make it engaging and fun and informative and connect people. And it was meaningful for me. Um, but I delivered that day and it was a huge success and then that anxiety settled. I knew why I was anxious and once the stressor had passed, the anxiety passed. So if the anxiety is hanging around and it's getting in the way, absolutely seek help. And that can be through your GP. It could be the the GP. GPs are able to make a referral and create a mental health care plan if you might need the the help of a psychologist. Uh, For some people, if it's low anxiety that's not part of an anxiety disorder and doesn't feel like it's really overwhelming, counsellors can be uh, good to reach out to. I I chatted to a counsellor yesterday uh, in an interview and I said to her, I I don't normally mention counsellors. I normally really like people to go down the the GP psychology path but uh, because counselling isn't as regulated as, as, you know, a psychologist's uh, practice is. But if you can find the right person who's the right fit for you, the therapeutic relationship is really important to the outcomes. And there are even wonderful anxiety coaches uh, that can make a profound difference in your life. It's about, um, you know, you might start with a GP and see what the GP recommends. Uh, the GP might help you to make that right decision. So uh, there are lots of professional options available. I really encourage people not to wait because waiting lists are long. They're very long at the moment because particularly in the sort of the southeast states like Victoria here and and New South Wales from what I'm learning. So don't hesitate. There's no harm that can come from getting help because anxiety is treatable and the the sooner the better. Hmm. And what do you want more than anything else in this life, Judy? 
I don't want for much, to be honest. I I really, I, I deliberately did not think about this question ahead of time because what what I really want, I guess aside from, aside from, you know, the, the, the health and contentment and fulfillment of those close to me, my family and, and friends, you know, really my life's mission, you know, is, is, is my work. It's that people can understand that you, you can have anxiety. It doesn't have to be a handbrake on your life. It doesn't have to be the thing that gets in the way of you being able to do the things, you know, you might not want to run the world. You might not be looking to run the world. You, you might just be looking to step out of your comfort zone and do, do something that's going to be fulfilling for you and meaningful for you. And that if the person, if a person listening to this podcast today feels like they can sort of build that courage and confidence and willingness to tolerate some discomfort, to sort of nudge at the edge of that comfort zone and and start working towards what's important. And that's, that's enormously fulfilling for me. Mm. You know, that's, that's so, so many different answers to that question, but you know my perspective on life changed after coming through major depression. I no longer cared about things. Uh, I didn't care about, you know, I'd, I had accumulated some things, you know, I had a really nice car cause I was living at home with a disposable income, probably stayed at home way too long. Um, but what I realized was that with, without our health, um, nothing else matters. So, you know, being able to support people to really improve their mental health and uh, engage more in life, um, you know, that that's really what, what I want uh, in, in my life. That's what's really fulfilling mm. for me. So, yeah, it's a hard question well, to answer, actually. It is It is a very <laughs> tough question. Um, yeah. But I love what you just said. Without our health, you know, what do we really have? I mean, everything mm. everything else that we might enjoy can be affected if our health isn't there. So. I, yeah, mm. thank you so much for sharing that. Um, <laughs> Pleasure. Where can people find you? Can you tell us about your podcast, your books, um, other places where people can connect? Yeah, I can, of course. Um, so my, so I'm online, Jody, Dr. Jody Richardson.com, Jody with an I. And uh, on, find my website, you'll find access to my podcast. It's, uh, it's obviously also available on, Apple and Spotify and Google and uh, other platforms. It's called Well Hello Anxiety, and it's a bit of a tongue-in-cheek kind of. Well, I'm going to turn around and have a little look at you, and uh, you know, it's really about the podcast is about seeing anxiety for what it is and learning how to dial it down and learning, you know, getting more tools in your toolkit and uh, learning how to boost your well-being as well. So, um, the books are available via my website as well, and I'd love for people to connect with me. On Instagram, I, I love being on Instagram and, and connecting with people and um, being able to share more tips and tools, um, you know, that I learn along the way, especially, you know, like you are, Mark, when you're interviewing people for a podcast, you're always learning uh, new strategies that, you know, you can share in a really nice way in places like Instagram and Facebook. So uh, just look for Dr. Jody Richardson, Jody with an I, and you'll find me. Come say hello. Beautiful. Jody, it has been so great to chat to you. Thank you for diving into this topic with us. Um, it's a big one. And as you said, you know, uh, as we acknowledge that there are a lot of people out there um, at all ends of the spectrum when it comes to anxiety. Um, so I hope that this has helped. I'm sure it has. Um, and yeah, Jody is there. 
feel free to connect with her. Um, start yes. start the conversation. It's never too late. Mm. Um, mm. And at this stage of our, at this time that we're living in, it's probably good to start the conversation today if you need to. Yes, absolutely. Well said. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much, Jodie. Thanks. Bye.